Hello, my name is David Ewan, one of the leaders of the Resurrection Center with Pastors Jose and Meli Martinez. The Resurrection Center is in the Indian Orchard area of Springfield, Massachusetts at 1060 Worcester Street. Today on K-Radio, we'll talk about the books in the Bible called uh, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And if you want to catch up with the first six books of the New Testament that we've already done, you can go to K-Radio at thekradio.com, and you can check out Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and Romans. But today we'll talk about 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So you can check out all the books of the Bible by going to thekradio.com. So let's begin. Uh, the first book we'll talk about is 1 Corinthians, and this is where the Apostle Paul writes a disciplinary letter to a fractured church in Corinth and answers some questions that they've had about how Christians should behave. And after that, we'll talk about 2 Corinthians. There's a 1st and a 2 Corinthians. So uh, this is where Paul writes a letter of reconciliation to the Church of Corinth and clears up some concerns that they have. In uh, our third presentation, we'll talk about the book of Galatians. And this is where Paul hears that the Galatian churches have been led to think that salvation comes from the law of Moses and writes a rather heated letter telling them that there were false teachers and they have it wrong. And the next book uh, is the book of Ephesians. And Paul writes to the church at Ephesus about how to walk in grace, peace, and love. After that, we'll talk about the book of Philippians. And that's an encouraging letter to the church of Philippi from Paul, telling them how to have joy in Christ. And finally, when we talk about the book of Colossians, this is about uh, Paul. He writes uh, to the church of Colossae a letter about who they are in Christ and how to walk in Christ. So let's go to our first book. This is the first uh, first Corinthians. Uh, the book of First Corinthians gives us a new perspective for a troubled church. And the church in Corinth was in trouble. They were divided. They were immature. They were abusing the sacraments, spiritual gifts, and of course each other. The Apostle Paul had founded this church earlier, and we know about this from the book of Acts in chapter 18. And when he hears of the young church's struggles, he writes them a letter, and it is a bold one. He tackles the issues of the church uh, and what they face and reprimands them for their shortcomings and encourages them in love. 1 Corinthians is not a step-by-step -step guide to solving church problems. However, instead of telling the church precisely what to do, the Apostle Paul proposes a new perspective, and he puts God's glory first. It's the key to overcoming these struggles. So first, the Corinthians were fighting each other 
with one faction claiming Paul as their leader, while others claiming the eloquent Apollos, the original apostle Peter Cephas, or the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Paul reprimands them for their immaturity and points to God as the one who deserves glory, not his servants. The church was condoning sexual immorality. One man was sleeping with his mother-in-law, and others seem to have been seeing prostitutes. The church was not judging their own based on God's word. Rather, they were taking their disputes with other Christians to their secular courts. Paul, Paul's directions recognizes God's authority and glorifies him with the physical body. Uh, the Corinthians had written Paul with questions about what they were at liberty to do in marriage, divorce, eating, and drinking, and the like. Paul gives detailed responses on each topic, but sums up the Christian philosophy, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And that's in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Um, unlike Romans and Colossians, uh, 1 Corinthians is a letter written to the people Paul knew very well. So here's a quick outline of First uh, of Corinthians. Paul greets and encourages the Corinthian church. Then Paul corrects them in areas of immaturity. This has to do with the quarrels over leadership and dealing with the church's lack of judgment on sex and legal disputes. Then Paul addresses issues the church raised in an earlier letter. And this relates to marriage, divorce, and virginity, eating meat, used for idol worship, and things like that. Then Paul calls the church to order. And this has to do with head coverings and authority, the Lord's Supper, using spiritual gifts, and understanding the resurrection. And he also gives instructions for greeting other Christians. And that's all I wanted to say about First of Corinthians. Let's now turn our attention to 2 Corinthians. So the book of 2 Corinthians shows us forgiveness and reconciliation in the church. When Paul wrote his first epistle to the church in the city of Corinth, they had been going through all kinds of divisive problems. Paul had urged them to put God's glory first and love one another, but he wasn't the only one telling them what to do. When Paul came for a visit, a member of the church opposed him strongly. Paul left and sent his associate Titus to Corinth with yet another strong letter admonishing them. Titus delivered that letter in the church, including the member who had opposed Paul, repented. Now Paul has heard Titus's report and writes to Corinth once again to address lingering concerns. This letter is a comforting one. It is a letter that affirms Paul's loving relationship with the church he planted years ago. It's a letter that praises the young church for their obedience, generosity, and love. It's a letter that reassures them of Paul's legitimacy as an apostle. In the wake of what happened since writing 1 Corinthians, Paul writes to the church to resolve a few lingering concerns and issues, and this is what was in that letter. Uh, this, the first one is where the Corinthians stand with Paul. When the church last heard from Paul, he was writing to correct them. Now they have repented, and Paul assures them that they are loved by and reconciled to him. Now, why hasn't 
Paul visited Corinth since they repented. Well, Paul had originally uh, planned to visit them twice, but he did not want to put the church through another sorrowful event like his last visit. Paul assures the church that he had avoided a second visit with pure motives, not because of hypocrisy or uh, fickleness. Uh, Paul planned another visit to Corinth. And then um, the issue is how to complete the contribution for the Christians at Jerusalem. The church had eagerly begun to take up an offering to pass along to the church in Jerusalem. But somehow the contribution effort had stalled. Paul encouraged the church to generously complete the offering. Um, and then um, in this letter, Paul talks about his authority as an apostle. Paul's character and legitimacy had apparently come under attack in Corinth. At least one man had criticized Paul for using strong letters and meek speech in person, and Paul was concerned that the church would be lured away from the truth. Paul defends his apostleship and explains his humble approach to ministry. So here's a quick outline of 2 Corinthians. Uh, first, it's the affirmation that Paul and the Corinthians are reconciled. Um, the second one is Paul's ministry as an apostle. And the third one is Paul's confidence and joy in them, the people of Corinth. And the fourth one, the contribution for Jerusalem. And the last one is Paul's legitimacy and authority. That's all I wanted to say about 2 Corinthians. Now let's turn our attention to the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians shows us our new freedom in Christ. Some false teacher has pressured the churches in Galatia, and this is a region in the Roman Empire, to follow the Jewish law. They're teaching that salvation comes through the law of Moses and not through Christ, the exact opposite of what Paul had taught them. So Paul writes a letter to bring them back to the truth. This letter isn't about Paul's ego or preference. It's about understanding why Jesus had to die and how it affects us. The Jews had been living under the law since the day of Moses. The law was a set of expectations for God's people, commands that when followed would distinguish Israel from all other nations as the people that belonged to God. However, Israel couldn't keep the law. Nobody could. Everyone was a sinner. So God sent Jesus. Jesus lived the law, died for our sins, and rose again. He fulfilled the law. The Galatians' new teacher completely disregarded and disrespected God's grace, Christ's sacrifice, and the Holy Spirit's work. That's why Paul is so upset in this book. So this book explains the believer's new relationship with God. We're freed from sin. We're freed from the law. We're adopted as children of God. We're counted as spiritual children of Abraham, whether we're Jews or non-Jews, and we're all empowered by the Holy Spirit to do good works, something sin prevented us from doing and the law never enabled us to do. So, let's talk about Galatians' role in the Bible. Galatians is the fourth of Paul's letter, um, and it's of the 27 New Testament books. Uh, Paul wrote 13 of them. So, 
Paul wrote 27. Uh, there are, of the 27 New Testament books, I should say, there were 13 of them that Paul wrote. Nine of these books are letters to local churches, just like the one in Galatia. The Galatians felt pressure to seek salvation from the law of Moses, even though they had already accepted the grace of Christ. The book of Galatians succinctly outlines the relationship between the law of Moses and God's new covenant with the church. So here were some answered, some questions, I should say, are answered in the book of Galatians. Paul defends the true gospel and deals with a few questions that would naturally arise in an argument of law versus grace. And some of the questions, I'll give you five. Uh, what about God's promises to Abraham? What is my relationship with God? Why make the law in the first place? What about sin? If we're free from the law, are we free to sin? So let's explore these questions. The first one is, what about God's promises to Abraham? Well, God made an everlasting covenant or pact or an agreement with Abraham in the book of Genesis. This was a promise to bless Abraham, his descendants, and the world. Abraham's descendants, the Hebrews, were considered God's special people, and God set them apart from the world with the law at Mount Sinai. And this happened in the book of Exodus. Paul teaches that faith in Christ does not cancel out God's promise to Abraham. Rather, it extends the blessing of the covenant beyond Israel. Now anyone who believes in Christ is a spiritual son of Abraham. Now the next one, what is my relationship with God? God teaches that faith in Jesus makes us not only children of Abraham, but also children of God. It's a radical shift in identity. We are adopted into God's family. And this is in Galatians chapter 4, verse 5 through 6. The next question is, why make the law in the first place? The law is a tutor that taught us two things. Number one, God is holy and expects his people to be holy. And number two, we cannot live up to his standards. The law makes it clear that we need a savior. Okay, and the next question, what about sin? We're being changed, but we still sin. Paul explains how the Holy Spirit works in us to battle our sinful desires. It's in Galatians that we find the fruit of the Spirit, and that's in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 through 23. And another question, if we're free from the law, are we free to sin? No way. God is not mocked. And we all reap what we sow. And that's shown in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Paul finishes his letter with a strong call to do what's right and not to lose heart as a community of believers. And in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 through 10, the scripture reads, Let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. So Paul acknowledges that those who advocate the law may still try to refuse his letter, but urges the church to lean on the true gospel of the grace in Christ. So let me give you a quick outline of Galatians. So, number one, the gospel is under attack in Galatia. Number two, the history of the law versus grace debate. Number three, 
the salvation via faith versus salvation via works. Number four, slavery versus sons and heirs of God. Number five, the sinful flesh versus the Holy Spirit. And number six, how to do good in Christian community. That's all I wanted to say about the book of Galatians. Let's now turn our attention to the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians is about walking in grace, peace, and love. It starts with the thought, you're a Christian, now what? Paul's letter to the Ephesians has the answer. The church at Ephesians, a city in the Roman Empire, had been established during Paul's two-year stay. They heard the call, they believed, and they turned away from their old idols and practices, even if it was costly. Now Paul writes to remind them of where they stand in the family of God and how to behave as members of that family. Paul calls attention to three major themes, grace, peace, and love. God has shown these to the Ephesians, and Paul calls the readers to be imitators of God, and therefore we are able to treat one another in that same manner. Now, here are some manners. We'll talk about grace, peace, and love. First, grace. We're saved by God's grace. His favor, which we could not deserve, Paul encourages the church to deal graciously with one another in turn. The next one, number two, is peace. We naturally deserve God's wrath, but he has adopted us through Jesus. Furthermore, he has united the Jews and also the non-Jews in his Son, establishing peace between all parties. Now the church is to preserve peace and unity with one another. And lastly, love. God showed his love through Jesus, and Paul commends the Ephesians for the way they love one another. He prays that they be rooted in love and encourages them to continue walking in love. The call of Christ is a call to action, and Ephesians lays out God's desires for spiritual, a, a spiritual walk like no other book in the Bible. So let's take a look at a theme verse of Ephesians, and that's in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, I the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of calling, of the calling with which you have been called. And that's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. I stumbled on the word, so I'll read Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 again. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. And... Now, Paul wrote to the Ephesians to accomplish two things. Number one, it's to describe the Christian's calling, and number two, to prescribe the Christian walk. Let's talk about number one, okay, to describe the Christian's calling. The first half of the letter focuses on the Ephesians' calling. They were chosen by God, sealed with his Spirit, and saved by his grace. The church was mostly Gentile and didn't have the historical relationship with God that the Jews had, but Paul assures them that they are just as mu much part of God's family as the Christian Jews are. 
And that's in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. Now let's talk about how Paul wrote to just prescribe the Christian walk. The second half of the book of Ephesians talks about how to walk in a manner worthy of Christian uh, of a Christian's calling. And Paul outlines what the Christian walk looks like in various facets of life. Like his letter to the Philippians and Colossians, this epistle is meant to encourage the Ephesians to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. So here's um, a quick outline of the Ephesians. There are two parts. The first one is our calling in Christ, and the second part is our walk in Christ. So, So the first one is our calling, and the second one is our walk. So let's talk about our calling in Christ. So the the outline of Ephesians, where it relates to our calling in Christ, it talks about our identity in Christ, grace in Christ, peace in Christ, Paul's calling, and Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. The second part is our walk in Christ, our walk in Christ. So when Paul talks about our walk in Christ, he talks about our walk in unity our walk differently from the world, to walk carefully, to walk in love, and to stand firm in the armor of God. That's all I wanted to say about the book of Ephesians. Now let's go to the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians. The idea of Philippians is how to rejoice no matter what. Life is hard in the city of Philippi. The Christians were being persecuted for their faith. Paul, their first teacher, was in prison far away. One of their key members had fallen deathly ill. They had worked for the sake of the gospel ever since Paul first shared it with them, and the work was really hard. And in the middle of all this, Paul tells them to rejoice. Why? Because God is at work. The book of Philippians is one of Paul's most encouraging letters. Paul commends the Philippians for their earnest work in spreading the word of God. He tells them how much he longs to see them. He warns them about potential pitfalls. He coaches them on dealing with hard times and provides examples from his own life, other Christians, and the Lord Jesus Christ. No matter what The good news of Jesus will advance. God will complete his work in the Philippians' lives. His children will have all their true needs supplied. Paul will continue to minister to them. And that's the reason to rejoice. No book of the Bible focuses on the joy like Philippians. The imprisoned Paul hears that the Philippians are going through difficult circumstances. First of all, they were being persecuted for their faith. Other teachers were trying to trouble their friend Paul while he was in prison. Their friend Epaphroditus had gone to visit Paul but had fallen very sick. And that's in Philippians chapter 2, verse 26 through 27. And in Philippians chapter 3, verse 2, we learn that false teachers were trying to submit the Gentiles, believers, to the Old Testament law. Despite all these hardships, they were still doing their part to spread the gospel, 
even sending Paul a gift to provide for his needs. Paul writes this letter as a response to all of this. Like his letters to the Ephesians and Colossians, this epistle is meant to encourage the Philippians to joyfully walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Whereas Ephesians focuses on how to walk as part of God's family, and Colossians focuses on the believer's mind. Philippians focuses on the believer's attitude, and Paul drives his point home. All of the books of the Bible do similar things as it relates to Paul's letters. Philippians has the highest concentration of words translated for rejoice and joy. So, a quick outline of Philippians has four parts. They all relate to rejoice. Christ is our life. Christ is our example. Christ is our glory. And Christ is our strength. And that's all I wanted to say about the book of Philippians. Now, let's turn our attention to the book of Colossians. So, the idea of the book of Colossians is about establishing your faith in Christ. Paul had never been to Colossae, Colossae, I should say, but he had heard from a good friend that the church in that city was blossoming in faith and love. They had been rooted in Christ, but young churches had been misled before. Paul desperately wants to encourage the church and head off any persuasive arguments from false teachers, so he writes them a letter. The brief book of Colossians is all about who we are in Christ. In the first two chapters, Paul teaches the Colossians who they are in Christ. In the last two chapters, he instructs them on how to walk in Christ. Paul emphasizes the mind throughout the book. The better the Colossians know what they believe, the harder it will be for someone to persuade them otherwise. This letter is still a profound, encouraging word for us today for several reasons. First, we, like, we, like the Colossians, have never met Paul face-to-face. -face. Number two, we continue to face persuasive arguments that contradict sound Christian doctrine. Number three, we need to remember that our lives are hidden with Christ in God. And number four, we should walk in a many, manner, I should say, worthy of the Lord Jesus. So if we know who we are in Christ, we'll have a much better idea of what to believe and how to believe. So the theme verses of Colossians, Colossians I should say, is Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 through 7. Again, that's Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 through 7. So here's the theme verse of Colossians. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. And again, that's in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 through 7. So Paul makes a few statements as to why he wrote the letter. Number one, he heard about their growth and wants to encourage them. Number two, he wants them to walk in Christ and remain established in their faith. 
And finally, number three, he knows false teachers are trying to lead them astray. Like his letters to the Ephesians and Philippians, this epistle is meant to encourage the Colossians to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Whereas Philippians focuses on the believer's attitude, and Ephesians focuses on how to walk as part of God's family, Colossians emphasizes the believer's mind. Paul addresses what Christians should know and what it looks like to set our minds on things above. So here's a simple, quick outline of Colossians. The first part is who we are in Christ. The second part is how to walk in Christ. So for the first part, who we are in Christ, it's Christ is our head and Christ is our God. In the second part, where we talk about how to walk in Christ, the book of Colossians says, number one, Christ is our life, and number two, Christ is our master. So that's all the books I wanted to talk about today in this presentation. And in this presentation, we talked about 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. So as a quick summary, in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes a disciplinary letter to a fractured church in Corinth and answers some questions that they've had about how Christians should behave. The second book we had was 2nd of Corinthians. Paul writes a letter of reconciliation to the church at Corinth and clears up some concerns that they have. And the third one, Galatians. Paul hears that the Galatian churches have been led to think that salvation comes from the law of Moses and writes a rather heated letter telling them that there were false teachers that told them the wrong thing. And the fourth book we covered was Ephesians. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus about how to walk in grace, peace, and love. And in the fifth book in Philippians, an encouraging letter to the church of Philippi from Paul uh, tells them about how to have joy in Christ. And the sixth book that we talked about was Colossians. Paul writes to the church at Colossae, a Colossae, I should say, a letter about who they are in Christ and how to walk in Christ. You can check out our Bible 101 classes online at thekradio.com. That stands for Kingdom Radio. So my name is David Ewan, and this is K Radio.